I am going to play a clip from uh, Matt Frad, who I've done one video responding to recently already. He just shared on his um, a, a clip from an interview he did on his YouTube channel, uh, talking with uh, Gary Machuda. Gary Machuda is a Roman Catholic apologist, and Gary Machuda kind of has a niche. Not that that's a bad thing, but he kind of has a niche, which is uh, specifically the Old Testament canon. So Protestants and Catholics have different Bibles, uh, but only in regards to the Old Testament. So we share a New Testament canon, but in the Old Testament, the Catholics hold to what they call the deuterocanonical books. We would call them the apocryphal books, Uh, but they have more books in their Old Testament than Protestants do. So if you ever see a Bible that says, uh, you know, Bible with Apocrypha or with Deuterocanonicals, that means that it's a Catholic Bible. Now, um, during, apparently, I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, Apparently, Matt Frad interviewed Gary Machuda to talk about the Old Testament canon. And at some point, he kind of went off track and discussed Sola Scriptura with him, as he admitted they're, they're related to some degree. And so I wanted to respond to both Gary Machuda and Matt Frad's uh, arguments against Sola Scriptura, because um, I think it'll be really helpful for all of us. What would yeah. you say, how would you respond to the claim of Sola Scriptura? And for, for those watching at home, maybe help us understand what you think people mean by that, and then why you don't accept it. Because this is kind of obviously tangential, but to the point of the canon too. Yeah. Well, Sola Scriptura, there's two varieties. There's if something's not in the scripture then it's tradition of men it could be rejected that's more of a fundamentalist view mm-hmm. evangelicals will say that the word of god is the the norm that sets all norms and the standard that sets all standards so as long as it agrees with the scriptures it could be acceptable so i i just want to start off by beginning that that definition is um really unhelpful and I mean, basically untrue. I mean, there's some truth in it. I've never heard anyone describe Sola Scriptura in those terms. What I think is going on is I think that Gary Machuda has um, has mistaken a small debate that takes place within the Sola Scriptura camp. And he's mistaken that for two entirely different forms of Sola Scriptura. Um... And even then, he's not done justice to that. But, but let me just briefly explain that. So there's a debate among Protestants, as Roman Catholics refer to us, people who hold to sola scriptura, scripture alone, that is no- known as the debate between the regulative principle of worship and the normative principle of worship. And the and this, by the way, began, this d- debate began in the Reformation. Um and, and essentially, there was the Lutheran view, which is what today we call the normative principle of worship. And all that these principles talk about is they don't talk so much about sola scriptura uh, as it's definitionally, def- as it's defined. It's really just a very narrow way of how do we apply sola scriptura in this area of life. And so these two debates on the principles of worship apply only to Sunday morning corporate worship. And the question can basically be posed like this. There's the Lutheran view, which says local churches can do, they can worship God however they please, so long as they're not contradicting scripture. 
as the regulative principle of worship, which was for the magisterial reformers and the uh, you know the more pres- the Presbyterians. Although I I'm not sure how much agreement there was on the minor details, but that that's not the point of this video. And that principle essentially says that we should only do what God has commanded. We should only worship God as a corporate church in the ways that he has prescribed. So one position says, do whatever you want, just don't contradict the Bible. The other position says, only do what the Bible tells you to do. You see the difference? It's basically the difference between the question, where does the Bible tell you to do that? And the question, where does the Bible say you can't do that, right? So those are the two schools of thoughts, and that's what it sounds like he's sort of offering to us as two different varieties of sola scriptura. But that's that's really not fair. Um, and even then, he miscategorized them, right? So he said fundamentalists hold to the uh, the regulative principle of worship. That's probably true, but the reformed are the primary ones who espouse that view, and they're not technically in the fundamentalist camp. So that's not technically true. And then he said evangelicals hold to the normative position, which is also largely true, but that position is also Lutheran, which is not evangelical. That's mainline. So uh, just to begin us, I, I could be more nitpicky and I could talk about other things, but I, I just say this. I think that was a really poor and unhelpful definition of sola scriptura. I would technically agree with the phrase, the norm that sets all norms. And all that's saying is that the doctrine of Scripture alone, at least one of its most important premises, is that Scripture is the highest authority in our life. Not the only authority, but it is the highest authority. And because it's the highest, that means all other authorities derive their authority from Scripture. So Scripture creates other authorities, and Scripture defines other authorities, and Scripture checks other authorities. But there is no authority that defines Scripture, that checks Scripture, that corrects Scripture, that creates Scripture. Um, So the authority of the Scriptures is a unique authority, and it's the highest authority. As Roman Catholics would put tradition, and some, I think, would even argue you should throw church there. I think there's a debate between them. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, Roman Catholics would argue that there's at least one other body of divinity outside of Scripture that sits on the same shelf, if you will. And so that's where really the debate is. So I would agree that the scripture is the norm that sets all norms. But anyway, let's just continue with the commentary. But that's a bad definition of sola scriptura. That's a point. It's a bad definition. Uh, the problem is, of course, with sola scriptura is it can't establish the sola and it can't establish the scriptura. Mm. Right? Because you don't find anything in scripture where it tells us that if, unless something is written down to inspire scripture, it's not Christian. But, you know, in terms of this... So, let's begin with that. So, does Scripture establish the sola? Uh, It does, but things can be established in what we call a negative sense. So, um, because Scripture is the only thing the Scriptures give us as being divinely inspired, that still exists today, that is how it establishes the, the sola. So we are so the scriptures identify themselves as being God breathed. The only other things that are identified that way is the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus himself. But the problem is is that the scriptures do not indicate to us that Jesus' earthly ministry is still continuing, he's ascended, that the apostolic ministry is 
still continuing or that the prophetic ministry is still continuing. And this is something that Roman Catholics agree with us on. So we would have to argue a little differently if we're arguing with, um, with like Mormons who believe that there are modern day prophets and apostles. And maybe I'll make another video explaining this, but that's why Mormons are actually far more consistent in their rejection of Sola Scriptura than Roman Catholics are. But that's, that's a point aside. Uh, Roman Catholics would agree with us that the only thing scripture identifies as being divinely inspired are prophets, apostles, Jesus, and the scriptures. And they would also agree that three of those things have been removed from this earth. They agree there are no modern day apostles. They would agree that there are no modern day uh, prophets. And they would agree that Jesus is not conducting his earthly ministry. He has ascended into heaven. So what does that leave us with? Uh, the scriptures. The scriptures are the only things that identify themselves today as the God-breathed, inerrant rule of faith. And so in that sense, they do establish themselves. They give us nothing else, in other words, to turn to for our highest authority. They, they don't tell us where else God has spoken outside of things that all of us Catholics and Protestants alike agree are gone. Um, and then additionally, especially as it pertains to the perspicuity of Scripture, it does also establish the sola when it comes to matters of salvation which I agree Sola Scriptura covers more than just salvation, but at least in that it's not negative, it's explicit, right? So the book of John, John twenty thirty, says that uh, these things were written down so that you might have life and that you might come to know Christ and have life in his name. And that at least subtly implies that that's the purpose of the other gospels. So we know that um, Scripture is alone sufficient for all knowledge of salvific matters. You can read through the book of John and get saved. John is clear about that. Um, but then there's also the, the, the main verse that establishes Sola Scriptura is 2 Timothy 3. And what does he say the Scriptures equipped, perfectly and adequately equipped the, man to do, the, the pastor to do, the man of God to do, for every good work? So... That is another more explicit reference that the scriptures by alone, the scriptures by themselves, the scriptures and nothing else added on to that is all the pastor needs if he wants to know how to do every good work and teach people how to do every good work. Um, so I would argue that the scriptures do explicitly present themselves as being sufficient for matters of salvation and that they sufficiently equip the man of God to, to do and teach every good work. So they do establish the sola. Uh, and then there's the negative inference, right? So um, the scriptures are God-breathed. Nothing else today is. So what does that leave us? Sola, <laughs> only scriptures. So I would, I would uh, reject his understanding of that. But now he's going to talk about the famous Catholic argument. If you're going to have a debate with a Roman Catholic apologist on sola scriptura, you can just essentially assume this is going to be a debate on canon because this is where they love to go. So I've done videos about this in the past. Well, I don't think I have any videos on my channel, but I've done podcasts and stuff like this in the past. This stuff you just got to hear over and over again because it's going to come up all the time, and it's a, it's really, really important. Torah, there's no inspired table of contents. Hmm. There, there's nothing to indicate exactly which books belong in the Bible. And so, uh, you know, if you go by the Bible alone, you really can't establish the uh, Old Testament canon or perhaps even the New Testament canon just based on those uh, things. And so um, now Matt Fratt is going to say more about that, so I'll go into more detail then. But this is the famous argument. So how can Scripture 
be the guide and rule of the Christian faith when knowing what scripture is, is obviously part of the faith. And scripture doesn't tell us what scripture is. In other words, it's the argument from canon. How do I know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all inspired? What if it's just Matthew, Mark, and Luke? You know, or what about some of the apocryphal gospels, like the, the, the gospel of Peter, or the gospel of Thomas? Why aren't those in there? Now, he's obviously going to focus a little bit more on the Old Testament. But still, I mean, the argument is the same, as he just said. It applies to both old and new. How do we know what the scriptures are? And if the scriptures themselves can't establish that, then they are not ultimately totally by themselves sufficient for the faith. But notice, and, and again, I'm going to say more about this when Matt Frad talks, but here's the general critique of this. He, he, he used that phrase, the table of contents. There's no table of contents, no inspired table of contents, if you will. And so here's the problem. That the assumption is that the only way the scriptures can identify themselves is through a table of contents. And so notice the there's a, there's a lot of inconsistencies here. Here's the first one I'd say. Let's just assume for a moment that we had that table of contents. And by the way, Matt Frad is going to make this argument which just shows it's really disingenuous for the Catholic to even ask it. Let's say, let's say God did inspire a table of contents. And we had, so we had this short little manuscript from Paul that had a list of the entire Bible, biblical canon. Well, how would we establish that document as being uh, authentic, as being divinely inspired? And then however we establish that document as being divinely inspired it would be inconsistent to apply that standard to, to, or to not apply that standard to all the other books. So in other words, it, let's say God did inspire a table of contents. That means that you would be able, somehow we would be able to determine that that table of contents is itself inspired, which means we don't need a table of contents prior to establish the divine inspiration of a book. Because you would have to not use the table of contents to determine the table of contents is inspired. Does that make sense? So whatever method you used for determining that, you would be able to use it on all the other books. And now you've come to realize I didn't need the table of contents in the first place. Because apparently I already had a method of determining inspiration before I had a table of contents since I used that method on the table of contents. And that's why it's really disingenuous to even ask this question, because even if we had a table of contents, the, the Roman Catholic would still reject Sola Scriptura and say you need the church to identify that document. So uh, it's, it's, not an in, it's, it's a disingenuous question. But, uh, more on that later, but I would also say this, the key to understanding this is that I emphatically reject that the only way a book can prove itself to be divine is through a table of contents. Um, in other words, n almost none of the books themselves, like Paul speaks in 2 Timothy about all the scriptures and Jesus speaks about all the scriptures, but if you just take an individual book itself, you know, like say take the book of James, for example, nowhere in the book of James does he say, now by the way, this is inspired. So the question is, is 
do we have to have an explicit mention of its inspiration for it to uh, prove its own inspiration? And I would argue emphatically no. When we talk about biblical books, we talk about how they have an entirely different nature than any other book. Because they have an author who is God in the way that no other book does. So ontologically, these things are not the same. They're not the same. They're ontologically different. And so you don't have to have a list that tells you this book is inspired to examine the book and determine that it's inspired based on its own content. So in other words, what I'm saying is the scriptures do authenticate themselves. They do prove themselves to be inspired and they can do so without a canonical listing. Right? It's like saying, you know, we've got all these fruits, but how do we know which ones are apples? Do we have to have some external authority tell us or can we actually examine the apple and examine the orange and see these aren't the same? They're they're not they're fruits, but they're not the same. The same way we can compare John to the Gospel of Peter and say these aren't the same. Now that that obviously begs the question, and we'll get into this when Matt Frad talks about well, where do those standards of come from? But all I'm saying is this: is that a book, at least in principle, philosophically, a book can prove itself to be something without explicitly listing it as it. Someone can prove to be my father. We can prove my father is my father, even if he never says I'm his father. And so we would argue the scriptures do give us the canon. The scriptures do provide that for us, but not in the form of a canonical list. But because the scriptures authenticate themselves, they demonstrate through their own ontology what they are. The scriptures then determine the canon. By the way, I'm obviously not going to make a super long video because this is an important and large topic. But, but here's where you get this from. Everyone needs to go and buy this book. Dr. Michael Kruger, Canon Revisited, go buy this book. This is a great book on the developments. It's specifically of the New Testament canon, but in principle, it's going to cover uh, what you need to know in terms of what was the canonization process? What actually, how did that actually take place? And this will explain more about what I mean, that the books sort of authenticate themselves. But right now, I'm just going to keep it to the philosophy. Gary Machuda's assumption is that the only way for the scriptures to provide their own canon is to list them out. And I'm saying that there are other available means that the scriptures can provide the canon without a list we can use the scriptures to authenticate the scriptures. And in that sense, we bypass the need for a specific listing. But I'm, I'm babbling now, so let's continue. So what I say is, you know, scripture isn't the norm that sets all norms. Hmm. Christ is the norm that sets all norms. And he knew which books were. Scripture isn't the norm that sets all norms. Christ is the norm that sets all norms. Uh, that's a straw man. Yeah, of course, everyone agrees with that. If you wanted, I could trump him and say, Christ isn't the norm that sets all norms. God the Father is the norm that sets all norms because Christ came to exegete the Father. Christ came to do the Father's will. D did I really make an argument, though? So, uh, of course, everyone agrees that Christ is the norm that sets all norms. But the question is, is how do we know what norms Christ has set? That's what the debate about Sola Scriptura is answering. In other words, I could tell the Roman Catholic, Scripture is not a norm— the Roman Catholic magisterium, the church is not a norm, and tradition is not a norm. Christ is the norm. 
And what would you say? Well, they'd say, I agree with that. But the question we're asking is, how do we get to Christ? That's the question we're asking. So that, that's, not a, that's not a helpful statement. Inspired and which ones weren't. And he certainly would have handed that on to the inspired apostles who had handed on to the church. So really, if you want to know what is the scriptura, you have to find out what was that original deposit of faith that was handed on through the church as sacred writings. And I believe if you look at the history, you find out, yeah, it's a, it's a bigger pro, uh, Catholic Bible. It's not the Protestant Bible. So his point here is what? His point here is Christ is the norm. And so ultimately we want what Christ gave to the apostles, and we would agree. But it's interesting, specifically in talking about the canon, he mentioned how Christ would have given the canon to the apostles. I actually would somewhat disagree with that. And here's why. We have no evidence that that was an issue, that that was something that needed to be revealed. We have no evidence from Scripture that Christ had any controversy over the canon that had to correct people's canons. In fact, we had the exact opposite. We have in Scripture Christ clearly coming into the scene and already affirming the canon that they had. And by the way, this becomes a strong argument for the Protestant Bible. Uh, James White utilizes this. I'll, I'll post a link to James White with Gary Machuda over the issue of the Old Testament canon. It's really, really good. But, but still, the point is, is this, is that I don't actually think we necessarily be- have, need to believe that Christ at any point in time sat down with the apostles and said, okay, let me write out a list of books for you, and, uh, but don't, don't write this down. Just carry this on orally. Teach this orally to everybody. And, and, and he passed along the canon, if you will. Because in Scripture, we see Christ is functioning with the canon that they have, and he has no problem. The, in other words, they knew the canon before Christ came. They were already functioning with it. Christ held them accountable to know the canon. The Jews weren't walking around going, we don't even know what the scriptures are. Like when Jesus tells them, have you not read the scriptures? Why do you break the scriptures? Why didn't the Jews just say, well, what are scriptures? You've given us no infallible voice. We, didn't, we don't know what the scriptures are. No, the Jews were able to know the canon without a pope, without an infallible church, without infallible tradition, and even without the incarnation. And that's the problem with them. You see, Roman Catholics are forced to treat the canon like it itself is a data of revelation that was passed on. But they can't trace that. You can't show me where did Jesus teach the canon to the apostles, including prophesying the names of the New Testament books. Where did Jesus ever teach the apostles? Here will be the list of books you will eventually write. And then who did the apostles pass that list on to? And trace that list. Where does the list come down? You see, the canon is not a tradition. The canon is not a tradition. It's not a data of revelation. It's a consequence of revelation. It's an artifact of revelation. But the list of books is itself not a tradition that was passed down. We have no evidence, not even from the Roman Catholic Church, that Christ ever sat down and and word for word listed the canonical books. And then that became a revealed data point that was transmitted through church tradition. No proof of that. The Roman Catholic Church has not itself ever infallibly defined anything that Jesus has said outside of Scripture. They do not claim we know that Jesus said this of anything that's not in Scripture. 
So they, even they themselves don't believe that they can prove that Jesus revealed the canon to the apostles and then the apostles passed down this tra canonical tradition. Rather, what actually happened is the Holy Spirit inspired books and those books proved themselves and the church gathered around them. As Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And as Paul tells the Thessalonians that we, are, we give thanks for you for you accepted our word as what it is, not the words of men, but the words of God. The words of God validate themselves, and then once we gather around the, the, the inspired revelation, the self-authenticating revelation, we call that grouping canon. But it's an accident. It's an artifact. The canon itself is not a tradition, is not a data of revelation. So that's why that little statement is actually very important. Now, Matt Frad is going to start here, and this is where it'll really heat up. Yeah, that is interesting. I've listened to several debates from James White on Sola Scriptura, and I'm really trying to give him a fair shake. You know, I, I understand that when we go to these debates, we always want to root for our guy and not take seriously the claims of the other person. But yeah, this idea that you know, Sola Scriptura presupposes Scriptura does seem pretty damning, because even if there was, you know, uh, an inspired list of... Well, let me stop. I'll, I'll rewind it just a little bit. So he quotes James White's debates in regards to Sola Scriptura, and you should listen to those, all of them. They're amazing. They're really good and really helpful. You should listen to them over and over and over again. You should also listen to, there's an apologist by the name of Turretin Fan, or Francis Turretin. He's an anonymous profile that uses the name of a, an old reformer, Francis Turretin. And he's got some great material on his blog and debates with on Sola Scriptura as well. Go to those two guys. Lots of good books I can recommend. Here's another great one. Read this book. I'm going to quote a little bit from it today. Um, now, I don't quite know, though. He wasn't specific enough. He's, he's essentially quoting James White as talking about this idea of the, the Sola Scriptura presupposes the Scriptura. I agree with that, and I agree with that in both of the coming ways. I just don't know which way he's referencing, although he'll kind of hint at it. What he could be referencing is um, you'll often hear James White and other Protestant apologists who talk about how sola scriptura is a principle for the church today. It's, it's not a principle that's always existed, which by the way, even the Roman Catholic arguments of authority have not always existed, right? The papacy was not around in the Jewish days, so even they admit that God can change authorities. He can take some out or add some. Uh, but anyway, the point is, is, is one of the ways we, when we talk about sola scriptura presupposes scriptura, is the argument is that, is that it only, the principle only applies once the apostles are gone and you have the scriptures. So the principle can't be used to authenticate the scriptures because they come after. This, I've heard some argue in that sense. I'm not sure if Dr. White has said that in those terms. Um, but I think there's some validity to that. But what I think he might be saying is what I just got done talking about, which Sola Scriptura presupposes Scriptura. He might be referencing the, the self-authentication of the canon. In other words, I don't know what point from James White he's specifically talking about. When you say the phrase, Scripture presupposes Scripture, what that should be in reference to is that this is a principle that comes after the Scriptures. It's not a principle that's used on the Scriptures or for the Scriptures. 
Um, but given what he's about to say, it sounds like he means more about the argument of self-authentication, how the scriptures prove themselves. That's what I think he means based on what he's saying. So that's what we're going to go with with our critique. But let's let's re-listen to him. You know, uh, an inspired list of uh, contents. Uh, or uh, Let me re- was, rewind it. You know, uh, an inspired list of scriptura does seem pretty damning. You know, sola scriptura presupposes scriptura go. does seem pretty damning. Because even if there was, you know, uh, an inspired list of uh, contents, uh, or, you know, for the Bible, that would be circular. Like if I say, well, Matthew says it is inspired, therefore it is, that's not a good argument. Whereas, So lots of things to say here. Uh, Number one, there is a difference between self-authentication and self-identification. Or a better way of saying it is self-authentication, authentication versus self-attestation. Uh, so even if there was an inspired, and this goes back to my point I was making about the canon and how even if we had an inspired table of contents, the debate, Roman Catholics wouldn't be satisfied. Yet that's what they seem to demand of sola scriptura. But here's the point. We wouldn't, we're not saying that the scriptures are inspired because they say they're inspired. That's what he just said. Uh, Matthew is inspired because Matthew says it's inspired. That would be a bad argument. And we agree. That's not the argument. That's self-attestation. That's not self-authentification. When we talk about this whole book, is it's a long book, and the reason it's long is because it doesn't just say any book that says it's from God is from God. As a matter of fact, there's a section in here talking about how lots of books claim that, that we would reject. That's not the argument. So he clearly needs to listen to more of Dr. White and understand it a little bit better. Now, the second problem is this, this idea that using the books to authenticate the books is damning because it's circular. But that's not the case uh, because all ultimate authority claims are circular. No one escapes that. The atheist doesn't escape it. The Protestant doesn't escape it. The Roman Catholic doesn't escape it. Let's look at it from an atheistic perspective. The atheist, whether he admits it or not, his ultimate authority is ultimately his own reasoning faculties, his own reasoning process, right? At the end of the day, even if, even if he claims the scientific method is his ultimate process or logic, he has to use his reasoning on the scientific method, right? And, and the scientific method came from human reasoning. So reason is the, the atheist's ultimate authority. But here's the problem. Does not the atheist have to use his reasoning to authenticate his reasoning? How do you prove that your reasoning is valid without using it? You can't. And here's the other problem. And Frad is going to try to get out of this, but I'm going to show you how he doesn't. Here's the problem. To claim the Bible can't authenticate itself because that would be circular. So the Bible needs something outside of the circle right? So the Bible, we're trying to authenticate this circle. In order to authenticate the circle, we need some external authority to authenticate it for us. But what does that do? All that does is kick the can down the road, because now what's the question? What identifies this as having the authority to identify this, right? If you can't know what the Bible you can't know that, that this is the canon and that these words are inspired. You can't know that without someone else coming in and telling you. But then the question becomes, how do I know I can trust him? What validates him? 
And that just continues on eternally forever. Because whatever validates him, well, then how do you validate that? Whatever validates that, how do you validate that? So everyone has to agree at some point that you eventually hit a wall. And eventually you just get to the self-authenticating, authentificating, I can't, I keep saying authentic, I can't remember. But the, the self-disclosing uh, authority. You have to, otherwise you're just in an endless regress. So everyone believes that their ultimate authority authenticates itself. You have to. And so the problem is, is that he can't criticize the Roman ca- or Protestants for having a circular ultimate authority without realizing that his ultimate authority is ultimately going to be circularly proved. And, and you'll find this in Roman Catholic reasoning a lot. They won't say it this explicitly. But what will actually be coming out is you can't know the canon of the Bible or the meaning of the Bible without the church. Well, how do you know that the church, which church has authority and how do you know how to interpret the church? You just do, right? It's like, it's like this assumption that the church is this perspicuous, authoritative institution that authenticates herself. But for some reason, the scriptures can't do that, even though they allegedly both have the same authority, which is the spirit. As a fact, matter of fact, Kruger makes the same point Um, When he says this, all of these concerns simply lead to the most fundamental concern, namely whether the Roman Catholic model in some sense makes scripture subordinate to the church. The answer to that question is revealed when we ask another question, how does the Roman Catholic church establish its own infallible authority? If the Roman Catholic church believes that infallible authorities like the scriptures require external authentication, authentication, forgive me, I keep adding the F in there, then to what authority does the church turn to establish the grounds for its own infallible authority? And here is where the Roman Catholic model runs into some difficulties. And then he lists three options that the Roman Catholic could turn to to, in terms of establishing its own authority. Frad is going to give his explanation, so let me cover the two that Frad doesn't give. The first option is that they could turn to the scriptures, right? So, well, how do you know that the Roman Catholic Church is the authority? Well, the Bible says so, but what's the problem with that? You can't use the scriptures to validate the church that you first told me you need before in order to know what the scriptures are, right? So, in other words, it doesn't make any sense to say you can't know that Matthew is inspired unless the church tells you so. And then you say, well, how do I know I can trust the church? Well, because Matthew tells you that Jesus established a church. But how do I know Matthew's reliable? Well, because the church says, right? And that's when you have that kind of vicious circularity. So the Roman Catholic cannot appeal to the Bible in order to establish the authority of the church because their entire argument contains the need for the church logically prior before you can have the Bible or understand it. The church must come first. Uh, Kruger explains it this way. This proves to be vicious circular reasoning. If the scriptures cannot be known and authenticated without the authority of the church, then you cannot establish the authority of the church on the basis of the scriptures. You can't have it both ways. And then he goes on to make the second point that the Bible just doesn't prove the Roman Catholic Church is an authority, which is for a different post, but I would agree with him on that. Here's another option that you could do. You could claim what I've claimed of the scriptures, 
that the church is self-authenticating. But then you would have a gross double standard because the Roman Catholics believe the Bible is inspired. But they also believe that the church is inspired. Or let's say infallible. The Bible is infallible, but so is the church. So why is the church self-authenticating, but the Bible's not? If both of them are inspired by God, then they should both be equally capable of doing that. So they have this wild inconsistency. They're both infallible, they're both God-breathed, but only one of them can self-authenticate. Says who? Where'd that come from? That's an inconsistency. So they can't, they can't appeal to the Bible to establish the authority of the church, but they also can't appeal to the church to establish the authority of the church. As a matter of fact, this is how Kruger says it. It seems that the only option to the Catholic model is to declare that the church's authority is self-authenticating and doesn't need an external authority to validate it. To put it more bluntly, we ought to believe in the infallibility of the Roman Catholic Church because it says so. But that's exactly what Frad just told us not to do with the Bible. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church then finds itself in the awkward place of having chided the reformers for having a self-authenticating authority, the scriptures, when all the while it has engaged in that very same activity by setting itself up as a self-authenticating authority, the church. On the Catholic model, the scriptures' own claims should not be received on their own authority, but apparently the church's own claims should be received on their own authority. The Roman Catholic Church, functionally speaking, is committed to sola ecclesia, church alone. And then he finishes this way. If so, then this present challenges for the, or if so, then this presents challenges for the Catholic model. Most pertinent is the question of how there can be a canon at all, at least one that genuinely challenge, correct, and transform the church if the validation structure for the canon, in effect, already presupposes that the church bears an authority that is on an even higher level. So, if you go with the self-authenticating church that then has to authenticate the scriptures, then the scriptures cannot be what the Roman Catholic church says they are, which is are above the church and the church serves the scriptures. The, the scriptures cannot guide the church. The scriptures cannot challenge or correct the church because the church is always above them as it is the father who gave birth to the child. It is the father who created and interprets and understands and defines the scriptures. So major problems if you try to do self-authenticating church. Major problems if you try to use the scriptures. So there's, that leaves with only one potential issue, and it's what Frad decides. Here's, here's how he explains it. Let me rewind it just so we get all of it in there. Yeah, That's not a good argument. Whereas if you say Christ established a church, and we can demonstrate that through history. Boom. That little phrase. Huge. Everything in that little phrase. Huge. That's huge. So what's his argument? Christ established a church. So he's saying, how do we know we ultimately have the scriptures? Well, because they came to us from the church. Ah, but how do we know which church to listen to? And how do we know what that church has said? Where is that church? Who is that church? Well, because we know that Jesus established it. Okay, how do we know that? Through history. I lost my... Oh, through history. So... Here's what he's saying. The Roman Catholic authority is ultimately proved by the external authority of history. But what does that mean? Let me ask him this. How can he prove to me that Jesus established a church historically without the biblical testimony? 
Where? Where? Says who? Where did Jesus establish a church? And how can we prove that in history? The vast, the heaviest evidence we're going to have is from the scriptures. We're going to have some from the church fathers, although most of them appeal to the scriptures. So the evidence, if you take the scriptures out, which is what you have to do, because the scriptures can't bear their own authority, so you have to take them off the table. And among the church fathers, those who appeal to the scriptures, you have to take those testimonies out. So you're limited to what? Just the church fathers who, who occasionally talk about Christ establishing a church without appealing to the scripture? That is a tiny shred of evidence. That is really poor historical evidence. How do you prove Christ established a church historically without the scriptures? I don't think that really can be done, not on a very strong grounds. And you need a really strong grounds if you want all of us to bow our knee to believe Rome is being infallible. That's a really weak foundation for such a heavy claim. And number two, it begs the question, if Rome is, inf- is the church, is this infallible institution, why is she dependent upon an a fallible resource to validate her because not all of church historical documents are are infallible in fact if you're not appealing to the bible all of your church evidence all of your church history that you're doing all your historical evidences are all fallible and your interpretation of them is as fallible because you don't have an infallible interpreter so here's what he's saying how do you know that the roman catholic church is the infallible authority that has the right to give you the scriptures because of a very small sliver of unbiblical church history which are fallible fallible documents that fallible men have interpreted so here's the point he doesn't have an infallible authority because his infallible authority is only as good it's only as infallible as the fallible decision he made to follow it which comes from the fallible documents he used to establish it that's not a that's sand that's not a rock he's built his house on sand the roman catholic authority is built on sand we needed a non-inspired non-God-breathed, fallible, small sliver of documents to infallibly prove that Rome is infallible. I would love to see him do this. He should make a video showing me how do you prove infallibly that the Roman Catholic Church is infallible from church history without scripture. Not from just from church history, from history. Prove to me from history that Christ established an infallible church and prove that infallibly to me without appealing to the scriptures and without appealing to the church. Can't be done. Can't be done. But let's, let's let him finish his thought. ...a church, and we can demonstrate that through history. And he gave that church authority, which we can demonstrate through history. And the church which he gave authority to told us the canon therefore we can accept it that seems to get you out of that circular reasoning well as we've proved it doesn't it doesn't at all and by the way when did the church tell us when did this infallible church give us the canon there were some councils hippo and carthage that met but the dogmatic definition was not given until the 16th century in the 1500s so apparently this infallible church was not able to give us the scripture for the vast majority of our history as a christian church (laughs) but what's the point apparently again not only can the church be established through fallible history apart from scripture but apparently this infallible authority can be established through history i would love to see that here's what kruger says about the historical argument 
The church could claim that its infallible authority is authenticated by external evidence from the history of the church. The origins of the church, the character of the church, the progress of the church, and so forth. However, these are not infallible grounds by which the church's infallibility could be established. In addition, the history of the Roman church is not a pure one. The abuses, corruption, documented papal errors, and the like do not naturally lead one to conclude that the church is infallible regarding faith and morals. So uh, Kruger basically makes this, the same point that I do, that to appeal to history is not fallible. Or for me, it's not infallible. It's fallible. So it doesn't give you an infallible authority. And secondarily, when you actually break down, when the Roman Catholic claims the church is infallible, therefore you should listen to her. When you actually break down what infallibility means, it, it suffers the death of a thousand qualifications. Because we can point to countless errors among the Roman Catholic Church, countless sins and abuses among the hierarchy, errors of the Pope. So they claim the church is infallible, but it's really only a very special small set of circumstances that the church is infallible on. And I'd like to see you prove that in history. Prove that Jesus defined the church's authority as this narrow authority that only exists under certain conditions. Prove that without the Bible from history. It can't be done. It can't be done. And even if it could be done, it would be fallible, not infallible. So you wouldn't be any better off than what you claim the Protestants are. Uh, so you see the errors. I hope this has been a helpful, enlightening video. But no, Sola Scriptura does not suffer the issues um, that these apologists say they suffered. As always, maintain the gospel, maintain the fight. God bless.